and they were just like, hey, you know, if you don't like either party or, you know, whatever your political background, feel free to join us. So it's been three years. And the point of the club is that regardless of your political background, be it, you know, centrist or true independent or even like communist, libertarian, conservative, whatever, it's really nice to see like other people's points of views, especially if they're like not within your bubble. So yeah, that's what we're about. That's Avinash Bakshi, one of two college student guests on The Purple Principle today. Both are working to bridge polarization in the U.S. Avinash is president of the Penn State College Independence and a bit of civil fresh air in our partisan nation, maybe also a ray of hope for a less polarized future. I'm Robert Pease. And I'm Emily Corsetti. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of young Republican and young Democratic clubs on college campuses throughout the country. But there are only a handful of independent ones. My interview with Avinash explores how important that can be on a partisan college campus. Our second special guest, Tyler Swanson, has been working against partisanship with, very literally, bipartisanship. He's the founder of the Bipartisan Post, a blog born from a formative experience in Washington, D.C. that became a newsletter and then a podcast as well. I have my bipartisan roots in my experience with the United States Senate Youth Program, which I attended in March of 2019. And the theme of the week is bipartisanship and kind of breaking down the barriers in the political conversation. Ever since I had spent that week in D.C. with the United States Senate Youth Program, I had in the back of my mind that I need to do something to contribute to bipartisanship and to contribute to healing this political divide in our country, because it was starting to concern me more and more. In the second part of this episode, we'll hear from Tyler, who ended up starting and growing the Bipartisan Post while a student at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. First, though, Emily, what should we listen for in your interview with Avinash, who is the president of the Penn State College Independence? Well, you're going to hear a lot of maturity, self-awareness, and most of all, civility, as in the ability to discuss political topics calmly and rationally. And I take it that was a pretty nice change of pace for you. For me personally, it was like really refreshing after all the frustrating and anxiety-ridden conversations that I attempted to have with other students while I was recently in college, many of whom are still incapable of having a civil conversation about politics. So stay tuned to this episode of The Purple Principle if you could use a bit of civility. Let's start off hearing from Avinash about the political environment at Penn State home to 40,000 undergrads in one of the country's most pivotal swing states. So in terms of like campus politics, like most college campuses, it does have a liberal lean. However, I will say that because the surrounding area around Penn State is very like rural PA, there is a good like healthy conservative discourse within the campus. If I were to split it, I would say it's like a 70-30 split where 70% are liberal and 30% are conservative. And I wouldn't even say to me personally, it was a shock moving into campus because I'm from Massachusetts, which is like heavily liberal. So that's kind of the bubble I've been in my whole life. But yeah, I know for me personally, like getting out of my bubble and talking to people I don't usually talk to for certain issues is like really important. Have there been any times where you received backlash for being an independent, you know, like on campus or anything? I would say for the most part, 
within college or within like the politically informed, they usually understand like why I describe myself as an independent first. And then once they get to know me, they're fine with it. But I find that when I talk to people who aren't as involved in politics, like for example, my friends within my major, they're like, oh, you know, you sound like a Democrat. So why don't you just say that you're a Democrat? Yes. When I was in school, I felt like the young liberals were too concerned with political correctness to the point where it was overwhelming or maybe even self-defeating. And the young conservatives were almost like trolls towards that. Do you see that on your college campus? I feel like that is my biggest issue. I remember, I mean, that's why I don't describe myself as a Democrat anymore, just because I hate the idea of identity politics kind of taking over instead of like policy politics. But in terms of how campus works, I find it a lot easier to talk with students who identify as conservative in campus rather than students who identify as Democrats in campus, surprisingly, only because almost like people who are on campus and identify as conservative are already, I feel like they sort of know that they have to listen to other viewpoints. Whereas if you talk to like a Democrat, it's like, oh, it, there's a lot of gatekeeping. It's like, oh, you're either all with us or like you're against us. So then what is your biggest fear in terms of the future of our democracy based on how you've seen the two parties and the two party system in action? I would say that my biggest fear is definitely like it stays this partisan, but I mean, again, it just all comes down to encouraging people to go out and vote and encouraging people to be more informed. And even more than just the presidential elections, it's the local elections that matter too, as well, even more so because less people vote on it. So as the president of Penn State College Independence, what is your hope for the future of that group specifically? I do see like a growing cohort of people who like actually do want to, you know, register with college independence or like talk to people with different viewpoints. I know as a club, like we've grown massively over the past couple of years. Now I would say that we have 30 to 40 regular in-person members. And then on our email list, we have 200 or so people, which is amazing because back when I joined the club or even like a couple years prior, it was only, you know, eight people meeting up and talking about issues. I hope we maintain this growth that we've had for the past couple of years. And can you tell us about some of your biggest challenges as the president of this group? So the biggest challenge by far has been trying to get events with Democrats and Republicans. And an even bigger challenge is trying to get them you know, to come together for a debate. Because it used to be that they would be fine debating each other, but now recently... Both groups are like, you know, we don't even want to show up to debate about policy. I think that parallels our society in a lot of ways as well. I mean, they're, individually, they're not bad people. I have friends on both sides of the aisle. It's just like as a group, it's very tough to work with them because they're all about promoting their own club and not about like reaching across the aisle. It is what it is. Nothing I can do about it. That was Avinash Bakshi. He's president of the Young Independents on the Penn State campus and a refreshingly calm and civil voice among young Americans today. 
So Emily, as you spoke with Avinash, any insights from previous guests come to mind? Quite a few, but one pretty strongly, and that was Dr. Abigail Marsh from our Heard from the Herd episode. Well, I should emphasize I'm not a political scientist. That said, yes, absolutely. Somebody who doesn't strongly identify with one political party or the other to a degree that they sort of view political life as this black or white thing. Yes, they should have a very different way of thinking about people on either side of the political gap. They'd be able to consider the possibility that there are people who think differently from themselves, but who might have reasons to think the way they do. Things are complicated. You don't always understand other people's interior lives that well. Someone might believe something totally different from me, but they might have a reason that even if I don't agree with it, I would at least understand how they got there if I had a conversation with them. And Avinash seems to be able to have those conversations. Yep, definitely on point. For me, it also brought up an interesting bit of research from Dr. Tom Riley, former chancellor of the Nevada State University System. He was a featured guest on episode three, The 40 Million Missing. And his finding was that even being friends with an independent can moderate extreme media consumption and viewpoints. So individuals tend to live in this bubble of... uh, more conservative-leaning individuals looking at news sources that reinforce their worldview versus liberals. And this has been pretty well documented. But when they had independence as part of their networks that they talked to on an ongoing basis, it, it tended to moderate their uh, media consumption, which means in the case of the very more conservative individuals, they tend to uh, introduce additional media sources and I think that's it's pretty powerful, again, that needs to be looked at further. Media consumption also comes into play in the next interview segment with Tyler Swanson. He's the founder of the student-run Bipartisan Post. I asked him how someone of an age normally known for passionate and partisan views on politics decides what's really needed is more bipartisanship. So... I started the Bipartisan Post in July of 2019 after kind of spending my summer wanting some way to contribute to the political conversation. I have my bipartisan roots in my experience with the United States Senate Youth Program, which I attended in March of 2019. It is a week-long program where two high school students from each state are invited to Washington, D.C. for a week, and the theme of the week is bipartisanship and kind of breaking down the barriers in the political conversation you know, being able to bridge the gap and understand things from everybody's perspective. So from that, I realized, you know, a bipartisan post seems like the most healthy way to contribute to the conversation. So I started posting articles on this website that I made. I started inviting my friends to do so as well. And we just started trying to inform the public on policy issues in the most unbiased, bipartisan way possible. So then how did it get from like a blog post to the full on bipartisan post podcast that you have with a team of young people from all over the country? You know, to be honest, it kind of just happened. I started writing the articles myself and I, my friends saw it. And then my group of friends who I had spent most of the week with at that group said, hey, you know, these articles are great and we want to write articles as well. But what if we did a podcast? Because, of course, this is the time when everybody started to record a podcast. And we thought that'd be fun. You know, we did it at first just to um, kind of reconnect and have fun conversations about political issues. And then it started growing more and more. And we got more listeners. We got more people visiting the website. And 
Next thing you know, I get applications of people wanting to join us. I'm starting to connect with other centrist and independent bipartisan sources online. And it's been growing and growing ever since. And it's been really fun to do. So do you remember the first post or blog or first piece that you created that made you feel like, wow, I'm excited about this. I think I'm doing something here. I would say probably the first time that I actually felt like I contributed to a topic and made an a, a actual worthy piece on a political issue would probably be when I wrote about a new law in California that would allow a student athletes to be paid and be able to make money from their likeness. Hearing people say, really, thank you for putting up this article. I didn't know about this. And it actually helped me, you know, form an opinion and, you know, kind of start to believe that, you know, what you're saying here makes sense. That was really rewarding. And ever since then, I've kind of, I've strived to achieve that same level of being able to inform and to help people form their opinions in that way with my articles. So then where do you get your news from? And also, how do you navigate polarizing media? I try to get as many sources in as possible. Generally, if I'm just kind of in a rush, I'll listen to NPR and their radio shows. I think they generally do a pretty good job of presenting things in an objective formula. But of course, I'll like to go a lot deeper. So I always have the Google News app on my phone. I'm going through and trying to find articles. And when I find a topic, I go through at least three to four different sources. So I can try to make sure I'm getting at least a couple of different perspectives there. And hopefully, you know, learning more and getting both sides of the argument that somebody might not actually get when they just go through and read one or two articles. Has there been any eye-opening moments in the other direction where somebody responded to what you were doing in like a shockingly partisan or emotional way? There is always, you know, also, of course, for every comment that's like, thank you, you really opened my eyes. There's one comment that's like, no, you're completely wrong, MAGA, or you're completely wrong, like, you know, Bernie 2020, or, you know, somebody defending their camp and their idea because they just don't want to listen to what you're saying. And, you know, that's always a little discouraging, too, because, you know, you want to make sure that you are helping and not hurting the conversation. But I feel like the value of opening someone's eyes to a topic and informing them is much better than anything that a political extremist or a partisan could take away. So what is your biggest goal that you hope to achieve through the Bipartisan Post? I really hope to be able to expand it to more than just a website and a podcast. That would be ideal and I think the most productive way to expand our conversation. Of course, the members that we have most active on our site are from everywhere. We have students at Harvard, we have students at Oklahoma State, students at Troy, at Center College in Kentucky, all across the country. And there's always a way to expand further. I would love to see, you know, bipartisan post groups become prevalent on campuses where, you know, they're actually helping to facilitate political discussion and debate. And I would like to see more platforms like the Bipartisan Post that present issues in a, a nonpartisan way with people kind of being able to read it and formulate their own opinion become more prevalent in society as a whole. That was Tyler Swanson, one of two featured 20-somethings working against polarization. Tyler founded the Bipartisan Post and Podcast while a student at Champaign-Urbana. And Emily, as I listen to Tyler, I'm thinking about what Dr. Dominic Stasua told us in Episode 5 about the rise of partisan broadcast news. What happened is that back in the late 70s, early 80s, if you were following the news, roughly a third of the time 
you would encounter like a reference to a politician or a quote from a politician. So one in three stories, roughly. Now, fast forward to the mid 90s, we're now at 56%. Majority of content is now partisan. Fast forward to 2016, now it's two thirds, it's 67%. So now, essentially, it's not just people who are in the echo chambers who are exposed to hyperpartisanship, it's everybody that even residually follows the news. And, you know, that kind of that turns off a lot of people, uh, especially the kind of pure independents who are going to get turned off by politics. And there's also that advice that we got from Dr. Robert Elliott Smith in Episode 7 on polarizing algorithms and avoiding echo chambers within social media. I think the most important things you can do are don't just like and share on headlines. Read the actual article. Try to reflect more and try to add as sophisticated a human comment as you can. Rehumanize as much as possible your interactions. And this is a controversial one is try to unblock people. Try to ease off that a bit because our studies have definitely shown that opening up the connectivity effectively allows the information not just to flow to you, but to flow beyond you. I would advise that people uh, be more human and try to open up your channels of communication to other people because you're a part of the way the network is structured. And if you change your network structure, you're changing it for many, many people, not just for yourself. In their own ways, the Bipartisan Post and the Penn State College Independence are creating better connectivity in our not-so-United States. Special thanks then to both guests today, Avinash Bakshi and Tyler Swanson, and best of luck to them in their efforts. We'll be taking a short holiday break here before launching our next new episode soon after the new year. But next Wednesday, December 30th, we'll relaunch episode 13, Declaration of Independence, Alaska Style, which is on ballot measure two, the most ambitious state-level electoral reform in decades. But we have some new info to add. Alaska Ballot Measure 2 has now officially been certified and will become law in 2021. Alaska will then become the first state in the country to have a single, unified, open primary with top four ranked choice voting for statewide elections. These reforms could help hold off partisan gridlock in our nation's most indie-minded state, and it could also possibly serve as a model for other states. Happy holidays to all our listeners, independent, nonpartisan, bipartisan, or just plain curious about life beyond the two-party death spiral. This is Robert Pease from the Purple Principle team, Emily Crisetti, co-host and staff reporter, Kevin A. Klein, audio engineer, Emily Holloway, senior research and fact-checking, Johnny Dowling, research associate. Our original music is composed and created by Ryan Adair Rooney.